I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You need humans kind of to lift you and move you along and to help you and it can heal. Um, so I think a world without humor would be a much sadder place. Welcome to the Humorology Podcast with me, Paul Barros, and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business, sport, and entertainment. They're going to share their wisdom and their use of humor with you and with me. Humorology is the study of how humor can dramatically improve your business success and your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock, and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. My guest on this edition of the Humorology podcast has had an astonishing 20-year career trajectory that has taken him from making tea at the BBC to hanging with Tom Cruise in Hollywood. As co-executive producer of The Late Late Show with James Corden, he understands the remarkable capacity of comedy to cut through the cutthroat world of American television. He's now a regular on the red carpet, and in 2019 he won his second Emmy Award for Carpool Karaoke when Corden met McCartney. His passion for punchlines has been his path to the Premier League of entertainment professionalism, and he's produced sketches with, amongst others, Michelle Obama, Will Smith and David Beckham. However, he'd probably swap it all to play for his beloved West Ham United. James Longman, welcome to the Humorology podcast. Thank you for having me. It's what, a lo- what a lovely intro. Oh, well, it's our pleasure. Um, What is it when someone's funny? Why do we love them so much? Um, Well, I just think it's a a funny person just has the ability to kind of make you feel happy. It's really quite basic, I think, with things like that. Humour just makes you happy. People who make you laugh make you happy. you know, watching something funny makes you happy. It gives you a warmer feeling. It makes you feel comfortable. It makes you feel, I don't know, in good spirits. It just can lift moods. It can lift rooms. It can lift a funeral. You know, someone could be funny at a funeral and it can make you feel happy and relieved and out of the moment. So it's so important to life. I love that thing of that out of the moment. Um, I don't know if you remember it, but do you remember when um, John Cleese gave the eulogy 
at Graham Chapman's funeral. And for those of our listeners who haven't seen it, you can look it up on YouTube. And he suddenly went from this, you know, everybody was giving the usual eulogies of wasn't he a lovely man, wasn't he everything. And in the middle of it, John Cleese just turned around and went, bastard, selfish <laughs> bastard. Uh, and it, it actually just changed the whole tone of the room. It kind of makes people, yeah, it brings you out of the moment and just, you know, suddenly it's a moment of levity, a moment of, a clever moment of levity that just takes you away from the misery and, the, you know, often the, the tough things in life. It just lifts you, lifts you up. What, was the young longers keen on comedy? I think so. I mean, I get, funny enough, you, you mentioned John Cleese and I can remember my favourite film watching over and over again, which was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, um, which I think Monty Python had such a big influence on me. Um, and that was a film I loved as a kid. And I, I, I guess I always, I think the running thread in my life has always been that I love nonsense. I love silly stuff. Um, and I always found humour to be a way to, you know, laughing at something is a way just to... Um, as I say, make you feel good about things. And, and I've always enjoyed laughing at things, laughing at some of my own things, laughing at other people's things. Um, and laughter has always been a really part of my life. Um, because as I say, the essence of it is, is happiness. And I think positivity. And although you can have negative humor and, you know, you can go down dark paths, it still has a positive influence on you. Um, so even as a kid, yeah, I always used to laugh at things. I used to watch lots of TV with my dad. Uh, and my mum and funny enough it was horror and comedy they're always the things I've loved <laughs> the opposites in many way but then you when you combine the two it's brilliant like Shaun of the Dead and things like that like horror comedy can be really good together um, but yeah they've always been the two things that kind of pushed me along well it's interesting because did you as a young person understand comedy did, did, was there an inherent understanding? Were you uh, taking it apart? Because I've obviously, having worked with hundreds, if not thousands, of comedians over the years, there is a comedy sort of gene. You either get it or you don't get it. What do you feel about that? There is. I've always thought, I mean, one of your questions, uh, one of the things about uh, what I find funny and why I find it funny and why things are funny, I don't think I've ever really analysed things. I just feel I have an instinct about comedy. I feel like something makes me laugh and it's all so subjective what is what i find funny someone else won't find funny but i always think that i've an instinct to find the funny in things and i i, I kind of know a broad comedy like what people generally find funny and yeah i think yeah for me it's not analysis of things i think some people like if you get into comedians some people write words over and over again to find the perfect joke and some people just have funny bones. You know, some comedian will analyse one word over and over. Is this the right word? Is this a funny word? And then other people just have an eyebrow raise and that'll make you laugh. So so, so many different ways and kind of skills that people have comedy and can use comedy. Um, but I always find I'm not an analysis man about it. I just know if I think I know what is funny. <laughs> Well, no, but that uh, but you you used a very interesting word, instinct. I mean, the, that 
if your instincts are funny it i wonder what happens to because i know you you produce um well, you've got an amazing career where you've produced astonishing people but when you get a non-comedian to come and do a sketch with you how is that i mean when you've got an oprah or somebody like that coming in whereby your instincts are not their instincts and do you have to tell them wait another beat and it'll be funnier yes you can do i mean there's always as with any level of on-screen talent there's always a management aspect to it because you never want to rock egos um and i think everyone is different how you get into it what i'm fortunate with on this show is james Corden is like for me one of the funniest people i've ever worked with he knows where to find the funny he knows how to find the funny he's got a physical comedy to him um as well as kind of the verbal comedy um and often I can I can use him to get to a certain person, like if they're not delivering it right. But lots of the thing, lots of things on this show, for instance, we'll do a sketch with Oprah and we'll have an hour with her, um, and we've got such reputation now that people trust us. Uh, not everyone agrees that the way I think something is funny is funny, but you know you have to find a balance. You can't always be overly particular with things. It's something you have to let go. But I think. Um, they trust you. They're in good hands on this show. And, and, and I think we've got a good level of trust where someone can come in and they trust us to make it funny. And our instincts is generally right. Um, and also they trust James Gordon. Yeah, no, no. But the, that thing about trust is so important in the comedy, isn't it? Because uh, in order to get somebody to laugh, you first have to trust that their instincts are right and in, their heart is in the right place, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We, um, you know, when we put a sketch together, sometimes you're, you know, taking ages putting a sketch together on this show and you've got an hour to film it in and you can't be overly precious about how someone delivers a line, but you can only kind of guide them in the right way. Um, and hopefully it will work out for the best. I mean, we sometimes do two or three sketches a week. You can, as I say, you can't be over particular and over, can't worry too much about everything because we don't have a luxury of a time to be able to really pick things apart which is also a good thing um but generally we know what is funny and what works for james and what works for our show and the people coming into the show know that that's how we work and, and what i and what we think is good usually works it doesn't always work but usually works okay so You've talked about, you know, watching Monty Python uh, when you were young. What else makes you laugh? Well, uh, this is a good question I've been thinking about since um, we first spoke. Like currently what makes me laugh, I've got a three-year-old. Currently he really makes me laugh. And the basis of what he makes me laugh at is he'll say a phrase that I wasn't expecting him to say, like an adult phrase I wasn't expecting him to say, or currently his fascination is poo-poo. So everything it will end in poo-poo and which is just funny of course <laughs> the it is. him saying poo-poo and laughing about poo-poo and everything poo-poo based is funny so that, at the moment that kind of makes me laugh and then i was thinking about like all the comedy i've seen over the years and, and the various bits of the kind of the broad range of comedy i've seen that um wouldn't necessarily be funny but is also is it's also really made me laugh. There's a, there's a comedian called Kim Noble, um, who's quite a niche UK comedian, and he 
his hour show that he did a couple of years ago, which you saw Soho Theatre, um, was one of the darkest shows I've ever seen. And some of the things he does are virgin on disgusting and shocking and outrageous. But then he has the ability to pull it back into something really funny. And to be able to kind of straddle that is remarkable. Without going into too much detail about it, he'll do some things that if I told my parents about it, they'd be like, this is disgusting. Why is he doing it? He should be banned from life. Um, <laughs> but he's pulled together this, this hour-long show where he plums the depths of humanity but then lifts it up somehow. And kind of you've, you've got that humour in the darkness of something like that. And then you've got – I watched this week with uh, the Sophia Coppola film On the Rocks with Bill Murray, who is just – he's got funny bones. He's just really funny. So kind of the broadness of that uh, – and then in life, things you find funny. Usually, I think stuff that really makes me laugh is friends and mishaps that they encounter. And and then I guess that a lot of what you find funny is also who you're with. And I remember watching films that I consider really funny with my ex girlfriend, who she wouldn't she wouldn't find it funny. So sharing a funny film with her would change my the essence of funny in this film because she wasn't laughing. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, "But this is really funny." So I guess funny is so kind of caught up in so many. There's so many different layers to it. It's always difficult to really narrow it down to what makes me laugh. It can be, depend where you are, who you're with, um, what you're watching, who's in it. I mean, there's so many layers to it. But I I, I love the uh, the the fact that you you run the whole gamut of what is funny. So you will go from the darkest to poo poo, basically. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely and, uh, and i think it's fun I, you know, i'm generally lucky i think because i find fun in a lot of things and that's why i guess in horror sometimes when i watch a horror film and it's a really dark moment when you're in a cinema i watch a horror uh, film and something shocking happens people laugh because it's a it's a release yeah um and so you can kind of it's such a good i guess there's a, a self-preservation about it isn't there laughing <laughs> Yeah, because it settles you and kind of think it makes you think, oh, things will be okay. Well, yeah. and and I mean, as a psychologist, it actually changes the, the the whole brain chemistry, and so you're you're suddenly getting a, a, a shot of something that makes you feel good, which can wipe out or you know the fear, the horror, and yeah. you know that's where dark humor comes in. If you know, I, I used to train doctors, and they you you know the, the surgeons used to say the most outrageous things. Sure. Like gallows it, humor, isn't it? It is gallows humor, yeah, yeah which is a re really uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, tell me a funny story about something that's happened to you. Well. I've thought a lot about this and I'm going to have to disappoint that I can't think of one good appropriate story. I don't know. I don't know if you I know, can answer that question. The the interesting thing about that was because I had two instincts there. One one as a, a former comedian and one as a psychologist. And and I was going, well tell me the inappropriate one then. <laughs> uh, well there is I've got I do have a good story but then it I don't know if I can tell it because if the wrong people watch it, 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 uh, it we can always cut it out, Longers. Well, I was working at a TV company many years ago when I was an associate producer, which is a step down from a producer, which essentially means you have to do everything what that the producer and the exec producer wants you to do. 
and we were working on a show where it's kind of like Big Brother um, with six people in the house, but three of them were actors and the three people who weren't actors didn't know the others were actors and we were feeding them storylines. And there was one storyline that there was a part of it that I can't say what it was, but I really, 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 really did not want to do it. Like I was, I could not have been more adamant that I didn't want to do it. The exec, who was a Bolton fan, and myself, uh, who was AP, who was a West Ham fan, um, that weekend was also the clash of the, who would get relegated. It was either West Ham or Bolton that very weekend on the Sunday. And this was a Friday night, and he really wanted me to do this thing. In fact, kind of made me do it uh, against my will. And that night, I was in this house. I was sleeping in the same house as the six people uh, on the show uh, and had to perform this task. And it went against everything, every bone in my body, every sinew in my body didn't want me to do it. Really, really, really didn't want to do it. But I thought all of this production and this show, all of the money spent on it was building to this moment. So I had to do it. It was like 200 grand's worth of show. So I was kind of stuck. So I had to do it. So I was alone in this house at midnight and I had to do this thing that I didn't want to do. <laughs> but I had to do it. So I did it. And then what followed was a disaster. On that Friday night, I went out with my friend to a place in Essex, to a, to a club. On the way home, some, there was some kerfuffle outside of the nightclub. So my friend said, oh, let's get a taxi this way. So we started walking out for a taxi. Out of nowhere, a man stepped from behind a bush with a plank of wood and smacked me in the face with this plank of wood. Absolutely out of nowhere. So I was like lying on my back going, what has just happened? They ran off. Um, we kind of followed them for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and I was on the phone to police and I've just been hit in the face with a plank of wood. Um, can the, you know, where are you? The police picked them up and the guy was like, oh, sorry, we thought he was someone else. It was a case of mistaken identity. During that walk, the girl I was seeing texted me saying, um, oh, by the way, you know, it's not working out anymore. You're not seeing me enough. It's not going to work. That was a Friday night. Sunday was relegation day. <laughs> West Ham <laughs> drew with Birmingham and Bolton won their game. I can't remember who against. And West Ham got relegated. That was a run of three incidents. But, but that is a brilliant story. Why is that so funny? Is it because tragedy, it, yeah. uh, isn't it that classic of uh, comedy is tragedy uh, yeah. plus time? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, like whenever I tell that story, every, there's a bit someone will pick up on whether it's a plank of wood in the face, a girlfriend dumping me, or West Ham getting relegated, someone enjoys every moment along, along the way, the comeuppance of it. Well, yeah, but that's, I mean, but that is a classic of humour, isn't it? Because you're actually telling it about yourself. Um, but it's, oh, that is a wonderful story. Is everyone funny? Um, I think everyone's got the ability to be funny. Um, not everyone is naturally funny, but I think, you know, you, you meet people along the way who don't, aren't intentionally funny, who make you laugh. Um, so I think everyone's got the ability to be funny. But do you think it's something that be, can be learned? Or do you think, because you think everybody's got this potential, but can they, I mean, if you, if you were running a college um, for being funny, do you think that everybody came through the door could be find their niche in funny? I think so. I think you can, you can, 
some comedians break down, as I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, break down every word, every syllable, the way they say things. If you analyse things correctly, I think there's a way to be funny. You know, if you've got the time and patience to go through it. Um, I think everyone can be funny. And you have, you know, there's people... I don't think my mum's particularly funny, but she'll tell a story and really make me laugh. You know, so everyone... Or there'll be something about her that makes me laugh that she doesn't intentionally know about. <laughs> you know, whether it's her... When I go around with it, it's her offering me a cup of tea every two minutes. There's things in life where people are funny without knowing it, and I think you can find humour in everything. Well, talking of that, what would the world be like without humour? Well, I think... Um, a sadder, greyer place. Um, I was thinking about this, actually. It is... We had a really lovely thing. Well, a couple of times, really, where people have said to me, um, what I do often, I think, is I make a lot of nonsense. A lot of the stuff I've made uh, on all the shows over the years have a thread of silliness through them and, and nonsense. And sometimes you, I throw away human and go, oh, it's not a proper job. I'm very lucky to do it. But every now and again, you'll meet someone and they'll go, oh, we're going through a really dark time and we saw that sketch you did and it really lifted us out of it. And the idea that, you know, humour can help people, which is when you do it day to day, you forget about that. And it's really lovely when someone says well, something really lovely to you about it. Um, you know, you, you need humour to kind of to lift you and move you along and to help you and it can heal. Um, so I think a world without humour would be a much sadder place. Well, it's, I mean, as a psychologist, I can tell you that it's a state shifter. And so actually what you are doing is, so when your children get a little bit older and they ask you what you do, what will you reply? I tell, I have the classic Brit about me where I'm always a little bit embarrassed about being proud of what I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is a very un-American thing, I think. But it's, uh, I guess I'd say, I make, if when they're a little bit older, I say I make silly TV. I make TV that makes people laugh, um, which is what I think my career has been, really, making TV that makes people laugh. But, but that's, a, that's a lovely thing, isn't it? I, I, my son is now 19, so he's gr grown up. And when uh, the, for the last few years, when his friends have asked, what does your dad do? Uh, my son says he talks bollocks for a living. <laughs> <laughs> Harsh, but true, to be honest with you. Yeah. But, you know, what, you're, you're at the, the wonderful age where, where daddy's a hero. And then, <laughs> you just yeah. wait, my friend. <laughs> um, do, do you find yourself funny? Um, my friends will always tell you I laugh loudest at my own jokes. Um, but I don't, I don't know if I'm naturally... Yeah, I do think I've got an instinct for funny and timing and those things, but I don't think I'm a comedian by any stretch of your imagination. I think in the right group of people, I can be funny and I can help people and kind of, you know, lift people up with laughter. Um, but I don't think I'm a natural comedian. Well, I'm definitely not a natural comedian. But I think I, I can be funny. But we will define what a natural comedian is, because, I mean, you and I both know, you know, so many comedians uh, uh, of the last 30 years and, and beyond, probably. But um, what's a natural comedian? Because some of them are, are miserable backstage. Yeah. 
Some of them. <laughs> <laughs> no names on this one. Uh, yeah, you're right, actually. It's, it is difficult to find. I think some people can... It goes back to storytelling, I think, that some people can tell a great story. Uh, and whether that story is a joke or whether that story is a 15-minute anecdote, some people have that natural instinct to them. So at a party, they'll be the one telling anecdotes. I mean, you're very good at that, Paul, actually, when we've spoken in the past. You know, you're a good storyteller, and you can tell a story about... Um, with you know different beats where people listen and kind of engaged in it so some people have that about them and if you can add humor to that storytelling and that's a real gift um whereas i don't know if i'm a natural as i mentioned a natural storyteller but i you know i can make cheap jokes <laughs> well by the way you are a natural storyteller because that goldfish one was dynamite <laughs> everything and if it's not in the podcast that bit is going to be why was the goldfish story where <laughs> what happened to that <laughs> um you find yourself funny are you able which i know um knowing you uh, a bit like i do you're able to laugh at yourself then yes and no i can laugh at myself i think my wife would say differently uh, but I do, I, you know, I can laugh at myself. I know I'm quite self-deprecating, but sometimes I, here's when I'm not very good at laughing at myself. And I'll give you an example. With my little three-year-old yesterday, he wakes up at quarter to six. And yesterday uh, I took him to the supermarket because that's a little job to do. We can do for half an hour. We came back and we we're making, he wanted to make muffins. We made muffins together. I'm not a very good cook to cook. I have to concentrate so intensely on the recipe. I can't just, my wife is an amazing cook. That's her business. She can throw stuff in. I'm like, like one cup of this, half a cup of this. I have to be like, uh, like a serial killer about cooking. And we're doing the muffins. And she, and she halfway through said, oh, you should use this tray instead of that tray. And then I, so I used this tray and I didn't put the paper muffin cups in there. I just put it straight into the mixture, straight into the tray. And then she walked past and said, why have you put it straight into the tray and not into the paper muffin cups? And I was like, because that's the tray you said to use. And she's like, well, you've got to use your common sense. I was like, well, I don't, I don't even want to be doing this. <laughs> so I'm just trying my best. In those instances, I'm definitely not good at laughing myself. But I think uh, I am quite self-aware of my thoughts and often laughter comes through being aware of those thoughts. So, yes, I can laugh myself if the occasion is right <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, yeah let's just put that in the middle if the occasion I'm not is cooking. right I'm not cooking. Not. <laughs> do you think because this this is a podcast about uh, so people can take away uh, things about how to use humor to improve their lives so do you think people laugh enough in the workplace? I mean, you work in television and so it's rarefied air, but you must go into situations or friend, have friends uh, who do. Do you think people laugh enough? I th it's a tricky one for me to really comment on because I've always been, when I started at BBC and then MTV and all of those, all of those jobs, it's always been a making silly stuff really so it's you know we're i'm surrounded by good people and smart people and funny people so generally it's always laughter um i remember once fun enough going to mtv us for we were going to shoot over there we went to mtv there 
And it was all like, everyone was in offices and it wasn't open plan at all. And MTV in the UK was all open plan. So we were always chatting and it was very social. And I'm always thinking that kind of world, offices, isn't always conducive to laughter. Because I think I much prefer, I'm in an office here with, with uh, another colleague, but we're open plan out there. And I kind of always prefer the open plan world because it's much more social, I think. And a lot of humour comes from people being social. And lots of job people do jobs where they're just in their little cubicles and don't see people all day. So um, it's very difficult to make a judgment on people in other jobs. But I, I don't know if here we're always laughing and being silly. So we laugh enough, probably too much at times. And I don't know if everyone has that opportunity. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What do you think on the back of that? Because you said about people being in silos. Obviously, lockdown is full of silos. Do you think that, that lockdown has has stopped the laughs? Basically, I think. Yeah, well, it's definitely harder for. I think there's a real mental health issue with people on their own anyway. Um, and I think as soon as you're away from other people, even I'm lucky enough to come into work, and we've got big barriers around us. We wear masks when we leave our desks. Uh, and we do a show every day, um, all social distance. I'm lucky enough to see people, even at home. And I can imagine lots of people at home on their own don't have that social aspect, so don't have the humour, you know, and don't get the energy from other people. So it must be really difficult during lockdown to kind of keep that going. Loads of comedians doing the stand-ups on Zoom and that kind of world has been great, I think. And, and you know, lockdown is terrible for the creative arts anyway. So... I think it's really tough on people not to have that social aspect and 
yeah, of course, humour will be left, lost during it. Yeah, I, I I completely agree, and I, I think, but I think there there is still the, the I I keep on saying to people, you know, just it it it's not perfect, but at least you know when you're on a Zoom or you're on a phone call, you can still get some banter going. Yes, I think yeah. what happens is people have to make sure that they're not just sort of. Uh, hiding away from it and you know uh, yep. you know we had a chat uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, we just bantered and there was still it felt like there's something it would be more banter if we had a pint in our hand <laughs> and 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 West Ham were on the telly yeah. you know but it, it def it's still... we definitely have humor then <laughs> <laughs> I I know this is a difficult question for somebody who's not a businessman but Make a business case for humour. Why will is the the world, whether that's the world of your office or somebody else's office, better for having humour in it? I think it comes back to happiness. I think if you've got a happy workplace, then people work better and work harder. If you've got humour in your life and in your work and everything, then generally, as I said, as I've mentioned, you're happier and lighter and you've got you know, less woes of a world on your shoulders. And then with, without all of that, then you can focus on your job. I think uh, if you're in a happy place, it's easier to focus and it's easier to kind of get on with what you need to without worrying about other things and, and laughter and comedy and all those things helps you get into a better place. Well, that's really interesting because, like, um, the people we need to convince are the people who run businesses uh, that, that that actually the the people in an open plan office going round telling a joke at the water cooler are actually good for business, not bad for business. Uh, so, would you say that that there is a return on investment on that? Absolutely, absolutely. Happy staff work harder, happier to be at work. You know, it's every reason to kind of keep people happy at work. So, I'm always intrigued by the tech companies that seem to have all of these kind of ways to, I guess, entrap you at work. <laughs> That's what happens. That's what Netflix do. They kind of have a job where you go in uh, and they encourage you. They, they make the place a really good place to work because then you stay at work longer and you're more efficient and you're happier to be there. So kind of the benefits of it um, are massive, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, it started, I mean, in this country and I think in America with companies like Google, who, you know, I were my clients for many years and, you know, having, you know, ping pong tables in there and, and yeah. this was encouraged. And I, I'm, I'm always amazed when more companies, because I get brought into companies and go, can you help our board be become more, you know, creative? And you, you go, well, you could actually help yourselves yeah. by loosening everything up a bit. Because yeah. presumably on, on the Late Late Show, you don't sort of like, you know, have rules about nobody's allowed to sort of laugh when they're at their desk. <laughs> no. I remember one company uh, I worked at were very strict just after, you know, before I'd been there. Things like you can't have post-its and you can't put your coat on your chair and you can't do this and can't do that. Um, and I think that, you know, you've got to be happy at work because you spend so much time there. So as soon as you get rules and people don't want to be there and start like batting their heads against it. And I think particularly in what I do, kind of the, the entertainment and the comedy world of things, 
it's healthy for people to be happy and to laugh and to be social. Well, I, I think you're, you're right. And actually, the more that people get to understand that, the more that, that actually the Humorology project will work and actually that, that people will, uh, companies ultimately will make more money because guess what? If your staff are happy, they're going to stay longer. You're going to retain all the talent. And, yeah. and that's what everybody w wants. They'll be more um, productive. Be more productive, that sort of thing. Have you ever, now, now this question feels a bit lame, but have you ever taken a joke too far or crossed the line? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But I sometimes don't know, I've, when I have in the past, I, sometimes you push the wrong button on someone which you think is a joke and they don't see as a joke. A lot depends on people's sensitivities. Uh, and sometimes when you think you're having a joke with someone and you'll say something and they take it the wrong way, that can be tricky. But yes, over the years, absolutely. But it's never really, I don't think that it's ever from, come from a bad place. Although I have, I just think if sometimes you have to apologise for these things. <laughs> but I do, I think what you talk about banter and things, a lot of my friends at home, banter is pushing people's buttons and wind and wind ups. And I think I'm very good at wind ups. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you can just take it too far. It's just, you know, you need to know when to stop. You don't always know when to stop. And but you can push it too far. Isn't that the essence of comedy is to actually be pushing the boundaries all the yeah, time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it can be. But I also think that at times you need to be particularly now, actually, particularly now the world is a lot more woke and a lot more aware of things. And I find that what I would have done or said in a group at MTV when I started, well, 18 years ago, 19 years ago, I definitely wouldn't say in a group now because you learn and evolve and you need to work out what the boundaries are and who's comfortable. And a lot of it is your audience. If you're with people you're very close with, you can push your boundaries more than... You know, you are, you could, if you're not with the people you know. Um, but also there is some element that I still enjoy of saying something shocking. You know, you still, you, the human saying something shocking that people go, oh, and gasp a little bit. I remember when I first time I met my wife's family for dinner, they were Tories, all conservatives. Uh, and that was back when there were bands. You remember we had the yellow uh, Armstrong, Liv Armstrong, Liv, uh, the Armstrong bands, wasn't it? The yellow one. Yeah. Uh, Live Strong. And it was, I had a red band. I can't remember what it was for. And there was, it was for some kind of charity in the family. Like, what's the red band for? I was like, oh, this is for Tony Blair. And so kind of the shock, the initial shock of things like that is still enjoyable because you can poke fun at, uh, you say the boundaries, you can just push over boundary a little bit. I still believe human needs to push boundaries as you say and you need to poke fun of a lot of the things that the world is furious about now um because that is part of humor but there's you know we're, we're in a very delicate time where we have to be a little more gentle than we would have been uh because there's all these new worlds opening up all the time and it's impossible to be completely level about everything because then the world is really bland so i think you have to find ways either side of that line to just gently nudge <laughs> well yeah, yeah but that's really well put gently nudge it but but you can't stop it because who polices that 
you yeah. know, once you put humour into sort of like there's a, I mean, I, I I was talking with Alistair McGowan on the podcast, uh, who's an old uh, friend of mine, and we were talking about when we started at the comedy store, the whole essence of the circuit, which was a very small circuit was that there was no racist, no sexist material. And because this was as a backlash to the Clubland comics, you know, the Jim Davidsons of the day and all yeah. those people. And everything. But if you... I, I you know, I... I don't think woke is a bad thing, to be honest with you. I think it's a good, there's lots of good things coming out of it. But what you can't do is throw the baby out with the bathwater and lose all the humour as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. You need to, it's a really delicate time, I think, at the moment um, with everything. And you're right about it. You can't, who is the police? Um, and I think you know social media seems to be the current police and the cancel culture which is terrible um so i think you know we're in a slightly tricky time where, which will come through the other side of it but the world is a slightly harder place for human and i think it has been so i like to think things will come out the other side and be better and we'll be able to joke about these times and a lot of this comes from the world we're in you know, whether it's a, a Trump president or whether it's a Boris Johnson prime minister, we're in a, a world where it's more about anger than humour and hopefully that will shift back to the other direction. Well, that's really interesting, the anger versus humour thing, because it's very hard to, to be humorous when you're angry, isn't it? Try and yeah. make somebody very angry laugh. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Not, it's not going to work. No. Have you ever gotten yourself out of trouble by using humor well i think i've got myself into trouble by using humor <laughs> <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know if it's the opposite <laughs> i remember at school when i got i would used to make a quip in front of the teacher and that would often you know you get in trouble for those kind of things um i don't know if i've ever got myself out of trouble with it i've got, i'm very good at calming down situations should there be a, a heated situation and being level and kind of on the fence about things. But I think you can disarm people with humour, and you, depending on what, if you first meet someone and they're cold to you, you can disarm them with humour, and they, you can warm to people through it. But I think it's, you know, I've never been in a threatening situation, I guess, and, and kind of use humour to get out of it. So uh, at school, were <coughs> you the, 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 the joker then? I don't know if I was a joker, but I did get to, I guess, I think I was always quite a popular kid and I went through a year of not being so popular. Um, and I remember during that time, I think I developed humour and jokes a bit more for getting myself a bit more popular again. <laughs> so I remember a way of being cheekier to teachers, I think. Like, analyse it now. I haven't really thought about this. Analyse it now. A way of doing that was by being cheeky to teachers. And I think when you're cheeky to teachers, people will like you a bit more. And so, you know, it's a way to make friends and, you know, get back into a popular bracket. So is humour a superpower? Uh, I think it absolutely can be, if used in the right way. Yeah, I think it absolutely can be. People like funny people. You know, it's just people like funny people. I think about... Uh, 
people with funny bones, for instance, like Will Ferrell. I can't believe anyone's ever disliked him because he is just funny. Like he can lift an eyebrow and make you laugh. Um, and that to me is a superpower because to have that ability to make someone laugh without with a, a tiny muscle in the face moving is like amazing. So, so yes, anyway. you've worked with Will Ferrell. You've worked with all these people. Uh, are there any people who've surprised you and you'd go, I, I, their public persona wasn't funny, but actually when I met them, they were hilarious. I know when I th funny enough when I think about people who are funny, there's a, there's a handful of people I think who are really funny. Like there's a there's a comedian called Joe Wilkinson, okay. um, who just really makes me laugh. Like he's really funny. There's Will Ferrell who's really funny. There's my friend Joe who just really when I'm with his you know, whatever, in his company with a group of us, he'll like I'll get belly laughs from him, and that is because he is shit at life. Like, he's the kind of person who shits his life. So everything he does turns into a little bit of a disaster. So someone like that, he'll, like, he'll have a workman come in to fix his bath. And instead of paying the workman 200 quid, he'll go for a 20-quid version and the taps will be on upside down. Like, he's a man, kind of my, the kind of guy who never learns from anything. So he'll always be shit at life. <laughs> and so he, like, people like that make me laugh. So, so thinking about in terms of celebrity, I'm not sure if there's anyone... Uh, who's the opposite they're usually a bit more quiet and then really loud like really funny on camera rather than you know the, the reverse i'm sure they're out there in business is it survival of the fittest or survival of the funniest i think uh part of my mantra i think is you can be you don't have to be great at your job but if you get on with people and try hard then it's going to be okay. And I think that being funny helps that. I think it's harder to be, you can, but you know, I think funny is a, is a massive attribute to anyone in life, I think, because it can get you through a lot of situations where you don't necessarily have the skill to do something, uh, but you can get by because people like you and you're funny and there's an emotional connection to you. I think if it is survival of a fittest, that isn't a business that I'd want to work in because it feels already just even that phrase feels a lot more cutthroat and a bit more American psycho. <laughs> so, so I would much rather be in the survival of the funniest range and survival of the fittest. Well, no, it's, it's really interesting that you were saying that because, you know, just that whole thing about funny getting rapport and funny uh, f making you fit in, funny makes you fit in. It's, it's actually more important isn't it because you 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 can be funny and fail but people will forgive yes absolutely. I've, I've just i've just alliterated again <laughs> uh, um, but you can be funny and, and fail and people will forgive and that's actually a real takeaway for people is that that when you are very very serious and you fail People will judge you more, don't you think, when they're yes. doing that? Yeah. Yeah, I think you can fail and be funny. Because people just like you more. <laughs> you know, people just like you more. If you're funny and you mess up, then you can kind of, as long as you admit it and go, look, I messed up, people generally warm to you and it's easier, just, it's easier to fail. And also, you know, failing is important. So if you fail and 
learn from it and you're funny, then it's all okay. Everything will be okay. We'll work it out. So there you go, listener. Fail funny. Fail funny. That's actually quite a good phrase to actually Because there is that term, isn't there, people who fail upwards. And quite a lot of people fail upwards without being funny. So you can have it both ways. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There's an ambition in life is to fail funny. (laughs) But I think it's absolutely true, though, because... I don't think it's always about, you know, being the best at anything. I think it's your face fits. Yeah. And part of that is if you've got a funny face, which you have long as, to be honest with you. (laughs) Let's break it down to a funny face. (laughs) No talent, but a funny face. Failing upwards. (laughs) Failing unfunny upwards. Yeah. Well, we're coming to the uh, end part of the uh, podcast now where we do quick fire questions. I've never seen anybody so excited about quick fire questions. <laughs> um, who is the funniest person you've ever met? Um, well, Will Ferrell is just the funniest person I've ever met and the nicest, actually. He's lovely and funny. God, like, I he hate He just makes that. me laugh. I hate I the fact that he's lovely and funny. And he likes football. Lovely and he funny. Likes football. Oh, he's, he invests in LAFC, so he's always at LAFC games over here. And uh, he's, he remembers. So first time I spoke to him about West Ham, next time we spoke about West Ham again. Like, he's just a lovely man. Well, also, I should say, Corden uh, is super funny. Like, he can find the funny in so many. We take him ideas in and... They may not be good ideas, and he can turn them really funny. So he is super funny too. Well, well, no, have him look at the podcast then. See if he can make <laughs> this funny. <laughs> <laughs> what book makes you laugh? Uh, I Catch Twenty Two. <gasps> Joseph Heller. What a great Catch book! Catch Twenty Two has the ability to. Uh, the first time I read it, I remember almost being in tears. Uh, at the bottom of one chapter and then laughing out loud at the top of the next chapter. But that is a perfect example of tragedy and comedy, like the thin line between them. Yeah, that's fantastic. What film makes you laugh? Uh, uh, I'm going to go back to Monty Python and the Holy Grail, just because that's where we started. Uh, But I think that is a brilliant film. I was trying to explain to um, a friend out here, an American friend out here, the rabbit scene where they're going into caves and the rabbit is and a vicious rabbit and they don't believe him. Like it, Monty Python is just second to none. Yeah. I mean, it, it's genius and it still stands up as well today. It really does. As, yeah. as, as it, it's, and very few films last like that. Also, very quickly, yeah. I know this is quick fire, but I was watching yesterday um, the final scene of Blackadder goes forth. And that scene... Uh, talking of tragedy and comedy is amazing because just before they go over the top, there's some really funny laugh out loud moments in it. And then you've got the tragedy and the poignancy of of them running over them going over the top. So that is an example of humor and kind of tragedy. Yeah. Taking it to another level. No, it's absolutely brilliant. What word makes you laugh? Um, I like the word hullabaloo. Um, (laughs) And I also, this morning, it was the word muffins because yesterday morning we were making muffins and we were joking about it this morning. 
And I was saying muffins loudly, and my three-year-old was saying muffins loudly, and we were both laughing at the word muffins. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes a change from poo-poo. <laughs> poo-poo. I said, yeah. And five minutes off poo-poo. Then it'll become muffins poo-poo. <laughs> wait, wait till you get to the underpants stage. Yeah, well, that's coming. Underpants, that's hilarious underpants. You, you can say it again and again, and, and children will laugh. Okay, slightly shifting to the serious side of it, what's not funny? Um, I, I was going to say political humour, but political humour is a lot of what we do on this show and also can be funny. I think if you go too far either way on right wing or left wing, uh, whichever way you do it, I don't think that's funny. I don't think the extremes of right-wing comedy are funny. I don't think the extremes of left-wing comedy are funny. So I guess racism, I don't find racism funny as such, but I can find, well, there is funny in jokes about different race. Uh, it's, it's a very thin line, I guess, but I think I get sent memes, you know, sometimes from, from friends that I don't find funny that are usually based around something Farage would say, for instance. And I'm like, I'm out. You're wrong. You've, this is the wrong audience. But I understand that people do find that funny. So who am I to judge? Yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because yeah. I, I, I get sent those same memes. And it, there's the, we, really? Did you think that this was going to be funny to me? Yeah. And I, I wonder how many friendships have broken up. Because I actually think you have to put people in sort of little buckets, if you like, of yeah. like, they are good people. Yeah. But uh, I'm not going to actually fall out with them completely. Yeah, but this isn't of for one me. Gag. <laughs> yeah, but this isn't for me. This, is, yeah. this isn't for me, and I believe you're better than that. Yeah, and uh, and I think uh, I think uh, telling people that is all is difficult, but actually sometimes necessary. Would you rather be considered clever or funny? Funny, without a all doubt. day long. All day long, I probably neither. <laughs> but I'd rather be considered funny. Well, we've had a lot of conversations on the Humorology podcast about the, the fact that, that people actually, are, and I agree with this, think that you have to be uh, clever in order to be funny. What right. do you think about that? Well, maybe. I'll take it. But then I think, <laughs> then I think I'm sometimes funny, so that means I'm saying I'm also clever. <laughs> I'll take Wait. it somewhere in that flow chart. Yeah, well, in the Mensa, well yeah, in the Mensa test, why is there no tell me a funny gag? Tell me a funny gag. There should be. There should be. Well, well, coming to that, and we're coming to the end of the show. Um, the last thing is desert island gags. If you could only take one joke with you to a desert island, what would it be? Why was six scared of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell that you've got a three-year-old. <laughs> that's a good one. It's just using numbers. That's how clever that one is. <laughs> there you go. That's a Mensa one. Numbers and humour. There you go. And frankly, <laughs> you should be given an honorary um, mention at Mensa for all you do for comedy and entertainment. Yep. James Longman, thank you so much for being on thank the Humorology Podcast. Thanks for having me. The Humorology Podcast was hosted by Paul Barros and produced by Simon Banks. Music by Steve Hayworth. 
creative direction by Les Hughes, and additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky production. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.